Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, welcome here this morning. We are so glad to be with you this morning. If you're here for the first time with us, we would just want to say we are glad to have you here. I'm standing in the sanctuary, and behind me I hear some sounds of construction, and it's an exciting place to be. But more than that, it's just exciting to be gathered together and to just anticipate what God is going to do among us this morning. We've been praying that this will be a time where your hearts will be encouraged, that your faith will be built. And so we just are excited to have you here this morning. I just have one short announcement for you this morning, and it's concerning the Global Leadership Summit coming up on August 6th and 7th. We are not going to be able to host in person, as we said last week. However, um, we just really encourage you to still take part in the online Global Leadership Summit. We are all leaders, and each in our own context, and there are so many great things that we can learn through the Global Leadership Summit. So if you would like to still participate and register through Ebenezer online, you will get our church uh, discount of $99. And so all you have to do is text GLS to our Ebenezer phone number. So thank you once again for joining us this morning. We look forward to spending this next hour together. Bye-bye. Well, good morning to our Ebenezer family and others who have tuned in to what we fondly refer to as our Webenezer broadcast. I believe this is lucky 13 when it comes to our Sunday worship services online. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans has been our sermon focus for the past couple of years. But over the past several weeks, we've intentionally moved away from our series in Romans to address some of the necessary questions and issues that this COVID-19 pandemic has brought up. And we've used our Equip You format to bring the light of God's word into these areas to not only inform you, but to also help you respond to those in your life that may be asking some of these questions. Now, if you haven't seen these messages, I encourage you to tune in to our website, our Facebook channel, uh, Facebook page, or our YouTube channel. But this morning, we return to our series in Romans. And I think I can say that for the very last time, unless we study Romans again. Now, I was chatting with another family this past weekend, and they mentioned that it seems like we've used that phrase, return to our series in Romans, quite a few times, and, and they're absolutely right. But while this has been a lengthy journey, I hope through it you've gained a fuller understanding of this thing we call the gospel, and you've learned to live in the fullness of the gospel more and more each day. Over the next three weeks, we will, yes, finally, bring this series to a close as we dive into Romans 16. Now today, I'm joined by Pastor Joel, our youth ministry pastor, and together we're going to guide you through uh, this first part of Romans 16. So good morning, Joel. Good morning, Cal. It's good to be together as a church family. Uh, and thank you for inviting me to help you kind of walk our church family through the passage. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. Now, before we get into Romans 16, one of our prayers and desires through this series was that each of us would gain a better and fuller understanding of the gospel. And just as importantly, apply the truth of the gospel into our everyday lives. What have you learned? What have you applied as we've taken this kind of uh, pretty deep dive into this letter? 
Yeah, well, this deep dive, the series and the book of Romans for me, uh, this, this idea that we are unwrapping the gospel, for me, it just uh, magnified the gospel. It, uh, I feel like this letter just shows how big of a scope the gospel is. It talks about it being like cosmic for all of humanity. Um, and it really gets into the big ideas and the massive impact of, of Jesus Christ and his good news. So for me, it's, it's, uh, it's this invitation to that huge gospel that, that our current beliefs and practices that enslave us, we can be freed from those. And that's, that's to all humans everywhere in all times for all of creation. So yeah. it's, it's really for anyone everywhere. And it has such a huge impact. Right. Th- that's really good, Joel. Thank, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, so here in Romans 16, Paul is, is wrapping up his letter. And I believe he's reinforcing two of the key reasons why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. First, Paul wrote this letter to give right teaching to the Roman church and to clearly explain what the gospel is. And, and I guess in the same sentence, what the gospel is not. Yeah. And second, it was to bring unity and harmony to a church that was quickly becoming deeply divided, particularly along the, the Jewish and the Gentile lines. So, so with that, Joel, uh, why don't I invite you to read the passage for us? And today we'll be looking at Romans 16, verses 1 to 16. Sure. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chenkria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, and not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and and Junea, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statues. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who's those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlelagon, Hermos, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Neris, and his sister, and Olympus, and all of the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. <laughs> great, great job, Joel. Um, <laughs> confession. Uh, in my preparations, I actually intentionally asked Joel to read the passage because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pronounce all the names correctly. Thank so, you. Good job. Thank you for that. <laughs> so this first half of Romans 16, it really is just a list of names, isn't it? So let me ask you, what do you think of or, or what do you do when you come up to a passage of Scripture that is like this? A list of names. Yeah, well, I'm often intimidated. Uh, if anyone watching has ever set out on a mission to read the Bible cover to cover, uh, like me, maybe you failed when you hit the huge sections of genealogies that are in the Old right. Testament. And when I first look at genealogies or a genealogy in the Bible, I'm intimidated by the pronunciations like mm-hmm. I just was. 
Uh, I'm skeptical that there'd be any meaning that personally applies to me as I'm reading. Um, and all I often see is uh, some historical work, maybe, uh, of cross-referencing and trying to figure out what they were, why they were originally important. Yeah. And, and I often feel the same way. It, it is hard to teach or to speak from a list of names, and it's often even harder to draw some kind of relevant application. Now, when we talked about this message earlier in the week, I think you said something to the effect that these types of passages are really only interesting to the so-called history nerds. Yeah. Now, before anybody writes anything mean in the chat today, I think nerds are really the new cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, there's a reason why Paul chooses to close his letter with this grouping of names. And I don't think it's simply to acknowledge some people or to end his letter with a few niceties. Even in this list of names, I think we see three characteristics of the gospel that we want to draw our attention to this morning. Now, you've done some research to see what we can find out about some of the names in this list, right? Yeah. So, so tell us, what have you learned? Well, what we know of the characters is, is fairly limited to the descriptions Paul gives here, uh, some of his word choice, and there's only a few other places where they're mentioned in the Bible. But if you have kind of a historical understanding of some of the period, there's some very interesting stuff here. So Paul begins with Phoebe, uh, which is a Greek name, and it says that she was a deacon or a servant uh, of, of the church in Corinth, or a, a part of the city of Corinth. And he speaks highly of her and asks the Roman church to accept her, provide her traveling needs. And he says that they should because she is faithfully provided for Paul mm. and the church in the area, like financially. So many suggest that because of this, uh, this data here, that she, she probably had access to wealth and she was most likely delivering the physical letter, uh, the letter of Romans to this church. Right. And then the next couple where there's some really good information is Priscilla and Aquila, who are both mentioned in the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Timothy. And their story is that they were originally from Rome, but with the persecution of Jews in Rome, they moved to Corinth where they met Paul. And they were tent makers by trade, and they, they lived and worked with Paul uh, for over a year. And from there, they also moved, uh, they then moved to Ephesus and led a house church and even instructed Apollos, who was regarded by many as uh, an apostle like Paul. So it's then thought that they returned to Rome uh, to lead the church there, which, and this is the letter written to that church. So basically, they are a married power couple. They're hardworking missionaries, they're teachers and leaders, generous in every way uh, in Paul's circle of influence. Well, those first three names seem to be pretty significant contributors to the Roman church. So I can see why Paul would find it necessary to, to mention those names. Yeah, so there's a lot. There, while there's more known about them than the other names, uh, there are actually far more names on this list uh, that, that very little is known about. Well, that's actually, that's really interesting, actually. So what about here in verse 7? Um, Andronicus and, and Junia, uh, what did you find out about them? Well, not, not as much, but Andronicus and Junia were a, were a Jewish couple, uh, also presented as kind of a power couple in the church who had been in prison with Paul. And they were among the apostles, esteemed by the apostles, and Paul says that they were in Christ or believed in Christ even before Paul did. Okay, that's not a lot, but okay, what about... Um... Apelles. So there's nothing more about Apelles in the Bible or, or anywhere else. Okay. Um, what about, uh, okay, Herodian? Nothing there. Tryphena? Nope. Tryphosa? Again, nothing. Sorry. Well, okay. So what did you do all week then? Okay. 
Well, I'm just joking. Yeah. Actually, I know Joel did a lot of work looking into these passages and doing what research he could into these names. So, so since there isn't really much historically to discover about who these people are, what are some of the general observations you made about this passage? Well, one of the things I noticed right away was the diversity of the people that Paul lists and mm -hmm. acknowledges. Um, this list contains reference to 29 people, and 26 of those have names. And it's really interesting that the amount and the order uh, and the important roles of women listed is really unique for that time period. There's 10 women listed, nine are given names. Um, and then there's also a diversity of, of types of names. So there's Greek names, 17 Greek names, actually, three Latin, two that are unknown of their ethnicity, but then seven Jews that Paul specifically points out in verses 7 to 11. And there also seems to be references to those who had access to wealth or Roman status, um, that, that could support the, the movement financially. But also we would assume that just like Jesus' ministry, there were many on the list that were poor or in lower class and did not have access to wealth. So Paul draws our attention to the fact that this is an incre incredible range and diversity right. of people that are in this Roman church. Yeah, that's really a, a good observation, Joel. And I think it leads us to our first point. The first characteristic of the gospel we see here is that the gospel really unites all. The gospel yeah. unites all. Yeah. Uh, we live in a world where unity is, unity is so fleeting, it's temporary, and it's even absent. Uh, you know that the, the most dominant news story of the past two weeks has been the, the killing of George Floyd by a police officer. And now the civil unrest, the protests, and the riots all over the USA, even around the world. Now, we're not trying to make any type of political statement. It's just simply, it's heartbreaking to see this and other events literally tearing people apart. And while there have been all kinds of recommendations and actions put forward in, a pa in the past to attempt to bridge the gaps and move forward, the truth and reality is that this, at its most root level, is, is really an issue of the heart. Yes, exactly. The, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Yeah. It's human pride and greed and some of these deep, uh, deep parts of human brokenness. Yeah. So even if uh, we can bring sub, some type of change through understanding, education, all these efforts that we're, we're making, um, we really need the transformation uh, of the heart. And that is what the gospel can truly do. Absolutely. Uh, look at the situation that Paul addresses in Rome. Between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, between other various races, ethnicities, cultures, practices, they had every reason to become divided. Yeah. But as Paul's list of names shows here, they, they were actually united, united by the gospel, united by the fullness of the gospel. Even Jesus said yeah. that you, uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Yeah, the Roman church was united by the gospel as they submitted uh, to Jesus, to his lordship. Uh, and then that transforming and renewing through the Holy Spirit and their commitment to God's redeeming work in the world was that change. So the description of the early church in Acts 4 says all believers were of one heart and mind. And Paul exhorts in Philippians 2, to, and he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And in this world characterized by disunity, even in the church, uh, the people of God should be characterized by unity. And it's the power of the gospel that brings uh, the supernatural unity that we need. Yeah. So the first thing we see about the gospel in Paul's list of names is that the gospel unites all. What other observations did you make about this passage, Joel? Well, another thing that I noticed was that uh, Paul notes and recognizes those who contributed to the church in a variety of different ways, meaning that it didn't matter if they were more prominent or less prominent uh, in positions of leadership or non-leadership. 
um, big responsibilities or little responsibilities. There's just this universal honoring of everybody who was involved. And it's arguable whether or not that this list was arranged in order of importance. Um, but Paul brings our attention to everyone and seems to be, to place honor on all. Yeah, that's another great observation, Joel. So not only does the gospel unite all, but more than that, the gospel values all. Yeah. While yeah. human tendency is to create these hierarchies based on what we believe to be most important, by definition, that means that there are some who are, are less important. And the gospel goes counterculture to that tendency, and it actually brings value to all. Yeah. Yeah, often even in the church, uh, the culture of the church, we tend to place more value on those with abilities and leadership, those in pastoral roles who preach or, or who lead and so on. And, you know, th- these roles are important and have to be there, but for the functioning of the church, but every role is as, as, as important as the other and they should all be honored. And, uh, they're different, but they should be equally valued and valuable. So I had the privilege of doing an interview this week with someone who I think represents this point well. Now, it isn't in a church or a faith community context, but I think the parallels will be pretty easy to make. So let's take a moment and take a look at that. Ebenezer family, I'm uh, on screen today with uh, Ken Siemens. Now, some of you may know Ken, others you uh, may not. Uh, Ken is part of our Ebenezer family, but I'm going to give him a a chance to share a little bit more about himself. So, Ken, tell us a a little bit about who you are. Hello, uh, I'm Ken. Uh, My wife and I have attended Ebenezer for about five years. Uh, We've been married about 35 years and have three children, two of which are married and one grandchild. So, and we've uh, enjoyed being part of the Ebenezer family. As a family, we also uh, enjoyed camping, and uh, we were also involved in different sports. and uh, uh, And as a family, we did some dirt biking. Uh, but the main focus of our family was uh, uh, we did uh, be involved in church wherever we were. And, and you still ride motocross, don't you? Like you're still very yeah, active I, in motocross dirt biking. I, I do the motocross thing. Uh, they have an, old, an age class for us older guys, so it still makes it enjoyable. Very good. Um, so what are some of the jobs that you've held, including like where are you working now and what are some of the past jobs that you've had? Okay, right now I'm uh, working part-time meat cutting at FMP. And in the past, uh, I've worked uh, in construction. I've worked uh, welding. Uh, different meat cutting jobs. But in 86, I uh, got a more permanent position at Prairie Spirit School Division. Uh, I worked there for 26 years before retiring. Prairie Spirit, okay. So were you a superintendent? Were you a principal? Or what was your role there? No, my role there was the caretaker. So uh, it was a really uh, good, interesting role. you know, it's uh, a good life experience. I did a lot of, as you can imagine, in a school, you do a lot of cleaning and and uh, and repairing and that kind of thing at, at the schools. Now, for those of you who are listening, I actually knew what Ken's role was. I just wanted to try to make a point there. And, and simply it's this, that some people, uh, maybe even some in society, would consider the caretaker or the janitor custodian to be kind of a 
a lower level position, one that's not as important. Um, how did you feel about your role as a, as a custodian? Well, you know, my role as a custodian was uh, not unimportant. It was uh, it was a need for everyone uh, in the school, and and that was my position. So, and and through that, uh, it was actually quite an enjoyable job. I uh, got to meet uh, a lot of new friends and the staff were wonderful and and the students also. So uh, you got to play that role and it was an important role just like uh, just like any one of the other roles. Uh, it was it was a needed position and it was my opportunity to do that position. One of the things you said when we you know talked about uh, interviewing you was that you really wanted to do any job that you had with with pride, right? And I think, uh, yeah, so you carried that into that role. Do you wanna just speak very quickly to that? Yeah, like uh, the position I had was caretaker and you'd think, well, that could be mundane, but I took uh, great pride in what I did and, uh, and I wanted to uh, do the best I could to my ability and, and, uh, and I was proud of what I could do, you know, uh, in that job. So it's, uh, in, in, in any workplace, uh, it doesn't matter what job you have, but it's, it's specific. Each person has their specific job. And, and if you can do it well, everyone benefits from it. Mm -hmm. So in your role then, how did you see your role in terms of how it fit overall with the, with the school as a whole? My role was uh, to basically uh, clean and keep the place safe. And, and it gave me other opportunities to help teachers uh, with whatever they needed help with, whether it was uh, projects that had on the go that I could help them out with or, or students also. A lot of times I would uh, find myself helping students with maybe some projects that they needed doing in class, or if they ran into problems, they would come and see me about everything from fixing a bicycle to uh, trying to find a lost item so 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 the way you would see position. yeah absolutely um so as part of the whole you saw that you know you had to your role was to ensure the school was clean and safe and provide that mm -hmm. environment for the teachers and for the students and then as a side benefit almost you were able to develop friendships with uh the teachers and even with some of the students as well right oh definitely yeah and uh and those friendships that uh, developed uh, at my workplace also continue through life after I've retired. Uh, and not only with the staff, but uh, students also, because I run into them a lot, uh, either around town or just different places. You run into them and they, they all kind of remember you. And, and that's encouraging, mm. you know, and it, it made for a good experience. Awesome. So let me just ask you to close our time with just this question is that what would you say then to others uh, who are listening in, whether they're part of the Ebenezer family or not, who maybe find themselves in a role or with a, whether it be a job or some other place that uh, many would see maybe as not as important or, or not as valued. Uh, what would you say, what would you say to encourage them? Well, I'd say uh, there's no job that's not unimportant there's no job unimportant uh, you need to do the best you can at whatever you're doing and know that 
the reason you're hired is because that's a needed position. And, and when you feel needed, uh, it, it makes you feel good, I guess. But uh, uh, take whatever position that's given to you and do it to the best of your ability. Do it with pride and do it for the glory of God. Wow. And, and you will be blessed through it. Great. Those are, those are good words, Ken. I really appreciate uh, your friendship personally with, uh, with these. You know, we have some motorcycle interests in common and uh, you've helped yeah, me out. Okay. Uh, and I really appreciate your attitude uh, toward the opportunities that you have in life, no matter whether they're seen as important or not important or, or prestigious or not. And I think you actually represent what we're talking about in this Romans uh, passage very, very well. So thanks for taking a few minutes just to share with us and, uh, uh, you know, trust that uh, your example will be an encouragement to others. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thank you, Cal. And everyone out there, be safe. So, so as I was watching and listening to that interview, it reminded me of how Paul uses the, the picture of the body yeah. uh, when describing the church. It, the church is the body of Christ. And our head is Christ, uh, but we are each part of the body, and each part of the body is as, as important as the other. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says it like this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And he continues to say, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And he closes saying this, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Yeah, that's a great reference. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the church speaking to how we need to see each other and, and, and how we need to function. I think during this COVID-19 crisis, one of the things we've seen is how workers who prior to COVID may have been seen as less significant, less important, and are now recognized and, and rightfully recognized yeah. as being essential and being valuable to our society. Uh, Truck drivers, grocery store workers, those who stock the shelves, those who clean the shelves, gas station attendants. It's not just the doctors and nurses and and medical practitioners that are essential and, and important. And that's the perspective we need to have with those in the body of Christ. Every member valuable and valued equally. So the gospel unites all. The gospel values all. What's your third and final observation about this list? Well, really simply is, is just that this, this is multicultural, cultural, multi-language, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-everything. Yeah. Uh, it, this is what the Church of Rome was. And the gospel obviously transcends and actually broke down the barriers that stood in the way to that. Yeah. Remember that one of the things Paul teaches that his Jewish audience in particular is that the gospel was never meant to be exclusive to the Jews. God's desire was that the nation of Israel would bring the gospel to all nations and into all cultures. So the gospel unifies all or unites all. The gospel values all and the gospel includes all and not just all in terms of culture or ethnicity. The gospel embraces all people, no matter what their socioeconomic situation is, whatever they might be in, no matter what their interests are, no matter what their jobs or areas of study are, the gospel includes all. That's right. And and it doesn't take much to see that the human tendency, the way that we seem to be wired, is to gather and include those who are like us, who we feel the same to, and to to be afraid or separate from those who are different. 
Um, and in high school, this is, is seen pretty clearly with different cliques. We might label them jocks or nerds, musicians or artists. Uh, and usually the groups look negatively upon one another. Even in society, like white collar workers tend to be looked at with disdain by uh, blue collar workers or blue collar workers might look at uh, white collar workers and say that they're elite or, uh, or snobs. And even in the church, uh, some of these differentiations can kind of creep in and we can organize our church around them, our churches around them. So our tendency is to uh, connect with those who are most like us. And that can be even a, a barrier to the gospel. Yeah. The other side of this point that the gospel includes all also speaks to our need or, or actually as, as the church, our need to be inclusive and, and to welcome all that God would bring to us, doesn't yeah. it? It means we as a church need to bridge, uh, build bridges into the communities and workplaces and schools where God has placed us and really be intentional about building relationships with those who are not like us, not just relationships with those who are like us. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing about studying scripture is that when you understand the historical context of Jesus and Paul, uh, there is just a reaching out to a loving, a welcoming of anyone who wanted to respond to Jesus. So whether they were rich or poor, healthy or sick, Jewish or Gentile, powerful or homeless, uh, Jesus really opens his arms to anyone and everyone. And that's really what the church needs to emulate and imitate. Yeah, you're right. Jesus. In my previous ministry, uh, in a Chinese church setting, there was an occasion where this actually principle didn't play out very well. Um, I was overseeing the English ministry of the church at that time, and while we were still predominantly of Asian descent, we were becoming more and more multicultural. Uh, and one particular Sunday, we invited a, a good friend of our congregation, a gentleman by the name of Taka Mukono, to come and speak. And he's from Africa. Uh, he was one of our favorite guest speakers. And on this Sunday, he brought his wife and his infant son along. When they arrived, uh, they asked where the children's area was so that Taka's wife could bring their, their young son into the, to the kids' ministry area. So I, I, I offered to, to take them there. And as we were walking through the hallways uh, of the church, I overheard a couple of elderly um, Chinese ladies uh, speaking in Cantonese, asking, uh, asking themselves, uh, why was there a black person in our church? Uh, and, and it actually shocked me. Like, I, I think I, I stopped in my tracks and wondered, why would they ask such a thing? Now, I mean, I believe this statement was made from, from a, a mindset of naivety, not from a racist mindset. But it certainly revealed a tendency that we all have is that we're not as inclusive as we should be and maybe not as inclusive as, as we think we are. Yeah, those, those tendencies, those biases are, are deeply rooted in our societies and cultures. And there could even be parallels for Ebenezer mm -hmm. uh, when we ask the question, like, how might we react if uh, if a homeless person made their way over and through our doors on a Sunday morning um, mm -hmm. or someone who didn't identify themselves in ways that were clearly different from us or express themselves in, in ways that that might be very different from us? Mm -hmm. Like, what would our reaction be? And I think uh, in the worst case scenario, uh, we might wonder why they would come here, what their intentions would be. Uh, or at worst, we could ask them to leave or that they're not welcome. Um, but I think I truly believe and hope that in the best case scenario, we would actually see them the way Jesus saw everyone and anyone and just welcome them with open arms and, and truly be curious about why and who they are and why they're why they're here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's even more to it than that, right? I mean, because it doesn't speak to who comes here. It also speaks to who we need to reach out to, yeah. not just through the church or through our church programs or ministries or, or even physically here in our church building. As we mentioned, it's, it's those in our neighborhoods, in our schools. It's those in our sports teams or our workplaces. We need to embrace them not only in, in those contexts, 
but we need to welcome them into our lives, into our homes, and maybe even into our families, and to love them with the love of Christ and trust that the Holy Spirit will do His work in their hearts as we do our work to to love them and to include them. Yeah, I mean, Mark 11, uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, which is uh, actually the name of our our sister church. Uh, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, And this speaks of the idea that God desires that His church, His people... Uh, be be used by him to spread his blessing outward to all nations. Uh, it's used. It used to be that when we talked about spreading the gospel to all nations, it just meant that we would send missionaries overseas to other countries, um, and then we would talk about all the challenges that that come with that. But today in North America, the nations have really come to us mm-hmm. through uh, immigration and through refugees. Uh, and while there are still challenges, uh, one of them should be. One of them should not be that our attitudes toward, towards them yeah. um, would be, yeah, not be inclusive. So the church in our lives, we need to have this kind of inclusive gospel. Now, we, we can meet together again when we can meet together yeah. in large gatherings again um, and have the church partners meeting in the same mm-hmm. building with us on Sunday mornings. I think this is going to be an opportunity for us uh, to see this truth in action, to see a physical example of this. Uh, and I think we're going to be better and richer as a church body for it. Yeah, I, I'm actually really excited for not just to be able to gather together again and uh, not have to, to rely upon these broadcasts, yeah. but when we can gather together again and our church partners are with us, and that's going to bring a whole new dimension of of joy and richness and excitement, I think, into our church family. And that's going to be an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, so so let, to just kind of summarize, I think that the gospel unites all, yeah. the gospel values all, and the gospel includes all. That's actually quite a few profound truths about the gospel from, from really a simple list of names. So, Joel, let me ask you this question then. How can we make these truths of the gospel a reality in our lives and, and also in the life of Ebenezer? Well, I think the key is uh, we, we need to be intentional about living the truths of the gospel, first in our own lives as the kind of from our hearts in our own lives and then out into the local body of, of Ebenezer as a church family. Um, and for those who, who are listening who are not part of directly the Ebenezer, Ebenezer uh, gathering, uh, th- these truths need to be applied in every gathering, um, in every sphere of society, mm-hmm. I think. So we need to be intentional about building and preserving unity. Mm-hmm. And we need to be intentional about valuing other people, trying to see the value in other people, trying to be curious about uh, where other people are coming from um, as, and whoever God brings into our spheres of influence. So like we've said, these are not uh, natural responses. They're not probably our first, so they have to be intentional. We have to be mindful and, and disciplined about them uh, so that God, through the Holy Spirit, can kind of shape us to be more like Jesus, and these can flow naturally from us. Yeah. So, so on the screen right now, you should see a list of questions that you can discuss with whoever you're watching this service with. Uh, take time over lunch or during the week and, and pray about how God might want you to make the gospel alive in your context. Now, and, you know, as things open up little by little and we can gather in, in smaller gatherings and maybe mid-sized gatherings, uh, and we're able to expand your bubble, why don't you share in your bubbles how the gospel can come alive through you, uh, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, and so on. Now, this is how the good news, the gospel, is going to penetrate every corner of Saskatoon, uh, every corner of Saskatchewan, yeah. and perhaps even beyond, through you and your smaller communities as you take and live the gospel wherever God has placed you. Now, this morning, we're going to also have the opportunity and the privilege to join together, albeit from afar, to celebrate the Lord's Supper as one body. 
So what an appropriate and awesome way to respond to the truths of the gospel that we've shared with you this morning. The life and the sacrifice, the willing death of Jesus, along with his resurrection and his ascension, was done so that the good news, the gospel, would unite all of us, would value all of us, and include all of us into the body of Christ and into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Joel, for joining me this morning. It's a privilege to work with you. And I'm going to turn the time over to Pastor Layton. He is going to lead us in a time of communion. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family. It's Pastor Layton here. I'm sitting around my kitchen table, ready to, to lead you in a time of communion or the Lord's Supper. And I was just thinking about this in a few ways. Uh, this is probably what it looked like more than what we do on a Sunday morning. The Bible tells us in the New Testament in the book of Acts that people would, would gather in homes and they would share a meal together, including celebrating the, the Lord's Supper. And uh, they would just share and I can envision them sitting around the table, finishing up a meal, and then just taking time to remember all that Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And I love that when, when Jesus inaugurated this in the upper room, that he didn't use elaborate elements, he used some of the most common things that everyone had in their home. Bread, which was very, very common, and, and a cup of wine. And it's, and it's these things that he said, uh, as you eat and drink, make sure you remember me, and remember my death, and honor that, and remember all that that death uh, means to you right now. And so I would like to do that. I would like to, to lead us in a time of, of communion. And just, just uh, picture yourself um, around my kitchen table and we're just chatting and we're just talking and I, and I ask the question, so what does Jesus' death mean to you? And then you, you give me your answer of how it's changed your life or how it's opened a, um, a door into God's goodness that you'd never understood before. And as we, we look at the wine and we talk about this and we say, what, what does uh, Christ's shed blood mean to you? And you can tell me about how um, he brought forgiveness and freedom and, and took away the guilt that used to plague you. That's the beauty of it. So if I went back to when Jesus was around, it says that, that he gathered with his disciples. And while they're eating, Jesus took, uh, gave thanks and, and, he, and he took this bread and he broke it. And it says that, that he, he took a piece of it and, and he held it up and he says, um, take heat. This is my body broken for you. And then the people ate it together. So let's just pause and let's just eat uh, this together, remembering Christ's broken body. And then the scripture says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks for it and offered to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my, the blood of my covenant spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink this together. What I love about the communion table is that it has so many dimensions. Uh, certainly it's to remember Christ's death. It's to remember Christ's resurrection, that he didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead. It's a table of forgiveness for us. It's a table that represents hope. It represents reconciliation. And I was just thinking about that uh, today. When we look at the news and we look all around us, I can't, I can't imagine 
a more divisive time than what we're experiencing right now. And I look at the governments and I wouldn't want to be a leader of a government right now, but I don't think that any person or any policy is going to change what's happening right now around the world. I think what's going to change that is an understanding of all that Jesus Christ did for us. His shed blood, that, that he brought us life, that he allowed us to, to leave a kingdom that we used to live in with an old king and come into a new kingdom with a new king. And that, that's the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. And so uh, today, as I close off my part, uh, I, I look forward to getting back together with everyone again. And one of the things that I miss is just praying for each other's needs and having a, a time where we pray together. It seems like we're missing that as a church family. And so what I want to do is I would just like to pray for us as the Ebenezer family. But more than that, I would like to pray for us as, as North America and us as the world. With all the chaos that's happening, we just have a world on fire. And we, the people of God, need to be praying. So would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. So Father, we come to you today and we again just thank you that you are God and that there is no one like you. We thank you and we put our hope in you that you, the God who created the entire universe, who has a plan that's unfolding from the beginning of time to the end of time, that you know exactly what's happening around us and uh, you're aware and you're still in control and we rest in that. God, you know that, uh, that what the world needs right now, and certainly the world needs reconciliation uh, instead of divisiveness. The world needs uh, healing instead of um, hate, and we need uh, healing instead of brokenness. And so we know, God, that you're the only one that can provide that for us, that it's only in your Son, Jesus, that we can find true peace, peace with our Heavenly Father and peace and reconciliation with those around us. So my prayer, God, is that, is that you would impress upon us as people, that you would stir in our hearts a need for something more, that you would bring hope and healing in our lives. And may it begin with us, God. You have given us the privilege of knowing your Son and knowing what, it, what it's like to have life and have it to the full. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to, to lead by our example, that we really would be the people of light, that we really would be the people who speak words of truth and love and hope into a world that's spiraling out of control. And then God, I pray that you would go before us and you would open the hearts of, of uh, the people that we know, the people in Saskatoon, the people in Saskatchewan, the people across this great nation and the people, our friends uh, to the south. God, that you would uh, again reveal yourself to us and help us have a heart so turn towards you. And so God, um, just by your, your grace and by your power and by your compassion and by your words of hope and love and peace, may we uh, come out of this as a changed people. May you turn our hearts towards you. May, we, may you revive us so that we could love you and follow you more and better. And so we pray for that. And then, Father, I just pray for our church family. You know the people that are hurting physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, relationally, you know, those that are feeling isolated right now. And I pray for them a few things. I pray that you would remind them that no matter who they are, or where they are, that you are with them. And then I pray, God, that you would, you would stir in us as a church family, those especially that have resources and that have friendships, that we would, we would be generous with our resources and we would be generous with our, our relationships. 
and we will be looking out for people around us. And so may you, by your power, come upon us, and may you help us to be light in this world of darkness. And so we commit ourselves to you, and we say that we love you, God, we need you, and we look to you to guide us in every way. So guide us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much for joining me this morning in my home. God bless you. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.